Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is brought to you by Stage Door Manor. You can learn about their summer theater programs at stagedoormanor.com and by BroadwayCon 2018. Tickets are now on sale and are less expensive than they have ever been. You can find information and tickets at broadwaycon.com and stay tuned at the end of the episode for a very special BroadwayCon theme message from our pal Andrew Bradis, aka Annoying Actor Friend. Come, come and Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, today's guest, Morgan James, followed us on Twitter a few months back. I immediately DM'd her and was like, girl, you need to be on our podcast. And she was like, okay, weirdo, I'll totally do it. I'm obsessed with her. Morgan originally moved to New York City to go to Juilliard as a voice major. And the story of how she made that happen is amazing. And then, having gone to probably the most prestigious conservatory in the land, she struggled to find work after. She, of course, eventually did find work in Broadway shows like The Addams Family, Wonderland, Godspell, and Motown the Musical. And I find her story just incredibly inspiring. She's taken a sidestep away from theater for the moment to focus on her music. After signing a record deal with Epic Records and making a few albums for them, she went out on her own and founded her own record label. You can find links to all of her music and info on current tour dates at morganjamesonline.com. I adore her. Here's our conversation. Hi, Morgan James. Hi. I don't want to scream at you, but I cannot. How dare you be able to sing like that? (laughs) You're yelling. (laughs) Thank you. I, of course, have seen you in everything, and I know that you have an amazing voice, but this morning I was doing my research, and I was watching your obsessed. I was crying and yelling at my computer and tweeting about it all at the same time. Well, thank you. I, I, I think my technique has improved since then, so I, I should probably get together with Seth and do an amended... <laughs> you should. What if you, like, walked in right now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is your life. And then Seth Rodeski walked in. Just crying. Um, hi, girl. Hi. So, okay, I'm obsessed with your story. You grew up mostly in California, right? Yeah, I spent my childhood in Idaho, and then I spent my teen years, junior high and high school in Modesto, California. And your parents are actors? Yes, they were. Were they professional actors or like like non-professional actors? Well, they were, you know... Or they- are. Are they still with us? Yes, they're, okay. they're still alive and kicking, and, and um, my, they teach, you know, when, when my brother and I came along, they started teaching, so my dad was my drama teacher. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, it was not as much, you know, in Idaho and California, it's a little harder to make a living as an artist. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of said, all right, well, how can we be artists and also make a living and have a family? And I read that when you were 14, you kind of had the moment of, like, knowing that you wanted to do this professionally. Is that right? Yes. I started studying voice when I was 13. I think I joined a choir in seventh grade. And that was really when I started noticing like, oh, when I sing, I get attention. That attention is fun. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> and, you know, I had, a, I had this big old old lady voice when I was 13. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> what was the moment that you realized you could sing? Were you just like in the shower and you're like, oh, damn, that sounds amazing. No, I... I remember, you know, my Barbies used to always have Miss America pageants daily. And so I would <laughs> Mine sing. Mine too. Yeah. I would sing Whitney and Mariah. And my dad, I guess, was over, you know, overheard me one day and said, oh, I heard you singing. And I said, no, no, you didn't, you know. <laughs> but he tipped my grandmother off and said, oh, maybe she'd like a karaoke machine. I read this and I was scream laughing. I thought that was so amazing. Then I got the karaoke machine. Again, someone, one of the family members heard me and was like, you need to take voice lessons. I'm going to pay for them. So my grandmother well, paid for voice lessons. What were your karaoke go-tos when you were a kid? Oh, it was, um, 
absolutely best of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And it was Mariah Carey. You could get all the albums on karaoke cassettes. Oh my god! So I did all the Mariah Carey stuff and Andrew Lloyd Webber because it's a natural combination. <laughs> um, and then I would just make my own. I would just do acapella and dub myself over and over again. I thought I was really, really clever, you know. Wow! So do all the parts. How did you hear about Juilliard? It's you know I had always kind of it was lingering in my it was always around. It was just the most famous amazing fancy place I could imagine yeah. and then one of my idols you know uh, Audrey McDonald yes. was going there and she's from Fresno which is not far from Modesto so in my mind I thought and then she was making a career in musical theater so that was really I kind of I said oh I want to do that kind of foolish because you know anytime you try to follow someone's path it that will was my phone Morgan James I am so horrified I burn it turn- throw it in the trash <laughs> the sound is off <laughs> Um, you know, maybe I should turn mine off <laughs> before I yell at you. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to do what Otter did, and I wanted yeah. to go there, and I really underestimated how difficult it would be to get in, yes. and I underestimated how difficult the audition process would be, I, because I was fearless. I was yeah. When I decided I wanted to go to Juilliard, it was freshman year in high school. Wow. So I spent the next three years just plotting and planning. Did you learn about like what it was, like what it was going to, the audition was going to be like? Like, how did you learn that stuff? Yeah, well, because when you look into auditioning or applying to any of any big school or any conservatory, you know, you look at their requirements and, and you know, every school back then, which was many, many years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, it costs like 75 or $100 to apply to every single totally. school. Yeah. And then, you know, you had to submit a pre-screening tape to many of them, including Juilliard. And then my dad, I got invited to audition. My dad and I flew out to New York. I'd never wow. been to New York. I saw a ragtime. Oh my God, really? Yes. I like ate at a pub. <laughs> I, I, it was just, I was wide-eyed. And I, it was really painful because I set foot in New York and I said, I, that's my city. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, if I don't get into Juilliard, how am I going to get there? You yeah, know? yeah. And so, t- will you take us through your audition process? What did you sing? How many oh auditions did God. you do? You don't have to tell us like no, that yeah. detailed, but like... What okay, was like? first of all, I was, I look back and I had no fear, which was great. I kind of wish I could go back and experience that young yeah. girl again. Everybody says that. Oh my God, yeah. because I had no qualms about singing Carl Nome, Juliet's Waltz, um, Omia Babino, a couple of requirements that from the 24 Italian that I can't remember. I sang Lori's song. I sang really hard crap, you know? Yeah. And I look at that rep now and I'm like, what? the hell was I thinking you know but I I so I came in and I was really I think perhaps had the least amount of technique a lot of these people had been studying piano and voice for years and years I didn't have any tech like um theory background I didn't have any language background yeah I was just fearless and wanted to go there yeah so when I came for the live audition you then have to wait and be called back again. And these are 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids. So I waited and I got called back again. I was wearing a floor-length velvet gown off the shoulder, of course. <laughs> I like just oh, changed out of that. Embarrassing. Um, I know. I still have that gown. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I just – I sang my tunes. My Kind of my – one of my – Signature songs is Laurie's song from the Tenderland, and I still sing that song. And but I'm the other, my head like I know what that is, and I don't. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful! You need to listen to it. Is it musical theater or is it opera? It's from the Tenderland by Copeland. All this you can't sing in a musical theater to get in Julia. Oh. It's all classical, so it was all arias. Okay, so and so the arias I've listed are so beyond my age yeah. and technique at the time; they're ridiculously hard. So, but I had no fear, you know. 
I was just singing high E's, you know, and, and just saying like, oh, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I'm shocked that I was called back again, and then I had to do theory and ear training tests and all these things, language tests. I didn't know anything. Wow. So I thought there's no way I'm going to get in. And I was uh, I, a few weeks later, I got into many of the schools that I'd applied to, and I hadn't heard from Juilliard, and then I found out that I was waitlisted. And which I thought was amazing because normally a wait list is for a thing that people put in place in case somebody decides they don't they get in and they decide they don't want to go. Does that happen at Juilliard? I don't think so. That's why I was kind of like, who's going to turn this down? I was really depressed when I got that notification yeah. because if you get waitlisted at um, USC or UCLA, maybe somebody would choose Yale or something. Yeah, you, yeah, you, know, yeah. you never yeah. know. But who's going to in my mind, who's going to not go to Juilliard? And so, anyway, I started a crusade, and of course, there was no social media or really the internet back then, kind of, you know, so everything was like, oh, I'm just going to write some letters to Juilliard and beg them to let me in and say, this must be a mistake. In my (laughs) mind, this is how fearless I was. I was like, oh, this is a mistake because I'm supposed to go there. This is my path. (laughs) This is my destiny. And they must have thought, this girl's insane, but they let me in. And who did you write letters to? (laughs) I sent in tons more letters of recommendation. I sent in more photos and, and videos and essays. And I sent in all this supplemental material to prove to them that I would work harder and I would be more grateful and I would, you know. Wow. And they let you in. They did. And so the class went to seven and it's normally just six. Well, it's different every year. Okay. But that year, I mean, if they only accept three, they only accept three. If they accept right. ten, they accept ten. But that year they had decided that, yeah, so... And, then they and out of how many people that audition? You know, I don't know. Um, they probably receive hundreds of tapes, you yeah. know. I, I don't know at the time how many yeah. singers apply. Um, but, yeah, maybe thousands of tapes. And then they, I think they invite maybe 50 singers. I don't know. Yeah. I would have to go back and look. I can't remember how many. It was a blur. Yeah, but yeah. I did meet my, my best friend from college at the audition. Wow. Yes. And she was in my class. Oh, my God. So... Was Juilliard a positive experience? Not really. <laughs> it's a four-year I I.e. check any podcast Otter McDonald's done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or Patty LuPone. Or Patty LuPone. Yeah. Well, she was in a different program now. And that program yeah. is much, much more family-oriented. My God. theater program? Oh, yeah. The yeah. actors are all lovey-dovey and love each other. Singers, not so much? No. Yeah. No. And they're not, they weren't my people. Yeah. I discovered really, really fast that they're, I'm like, oh, I don't belong with opera singers. There's nothing yeah. wrong with them. They're yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's just, I'm not one of them. Yeah. You don't meet me and go, oh, yeah, I could see her in the opera world. And I was very, much more interested in acting and text and delving in, and they don't, they had no interest in that. And my, again, the, the program may be different now, I don't know, but at the time, it was very conservative, very down the like by the book, very down the middle. And I was, my teacher was just aghast. She was like, you are so behind the other students and your technique is so subpar. Like they were, they're that harsh. Wow. Did you get up to speed? No. No. (laughs) I mean, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. You always feel like like you're just horrible. uh And maybe that's what they're trying to do. And in some ways it really helped. I never walk around going, I'm better than everybody. And uh-huh. I think Juilliard made me see 
No, you constantly have to be working. You're constantly – it is a, a living art, a living technique that has to be worked on every single day and you're never going to be good enough. And there's something to that. Yeah, Because if I walk sure. out of a school and I go, oh, I'm – and I you know, I left Julia and I said, oh, great. Well, now I'll start working. And, and then I didn't. So right. then I was like dealt another blow of like <laughs> no one wants this voice at all, which is great. It's very humbling. Like, right. So yeah, so you graduated in 2003 and you didn't make your Broadway debut until 2010. Is that right? Yes. What did you do? in those seven years well <laughs> let's see um you know i waited tables i tutored i auditioned i went through agents yeah. i um did you do out of town stuff like- yeah finally even that took some time but yeah i started doing roles out of town which was great probably the best education i could have gotten and i i just wasn't one of those people that would book big jobs yeah so i, I really had to claw for everything and also you know i just Nobody wanted my soprano voice. And I really had to mourn that because not only was it not popular, but mine wasn't popular. And pa- what, now, when you say soprano voice, do you mean like Kelly O'Hara, like that? Yeah, that that's style? what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Barbara oh. Cook. I wanted to be oh. Kelly. You know, and I was like in college, I was seen for things along with Kelly, but I was a child. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, thank goodness I didn't book them because I had no idea what I was doing. But yeah, I, I didn't book any work. I don't think people think of you as having that. Like your fans or people who've seen you in shows. I, I just think of you as this like belty rock voice. I know. How did you figure out how to do that? Well, I wasn't getting any work. And I looked around and um, really the only thing that was popular was Wicked and yeah. Next to Normal and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, if I'm, if I'm going to work, I'm going to have to learn how to belt, which I did not do until I was 25. Wow. I mean, I taught myself to belt by watching videotapes of Pavarotti because he's the best belter. He really, really wow. is. Real talk. And I taught myself to belt. You know, I lost 20 pounds. I've dyed my hair blonde and lo and behold, I started working. I had no idea. Well, part of it came from strife. You know, part of it came from sadness, from not achieving my dreams, etc. And yeah. working in bars and working in restaurants and and... I worked, you know, just catered and did all these horrible jobs. And one of the jobs, I worked in a restaurant that had live music. And so uh-huh. sometimes I would get the opportunity to sing with bands. And it it would give me a little bit of an outlet to sing. Otherwise, you know, I wasn't really. And then I started singing in club date bands, which were basically weddings. <laughs> I sang in actually the, the wedding band that Adina Menzel was in. I was just going to say, didn't Adina Menzel was in a Adina wedding Adina was band. in Marianne Bennett's band. And then after her was Lucy Woodward. And then I took over her. Wow. So I'm in the, in the long line of the Adina Menzel wedding band. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it was better than waiting tables, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I started getting some roles regionally and, and workshops of new things. And I kind of started to see, okay, the key is new work. The key is get in, get in with composers and directors and do a bunch of workshops and labs and maybe they'll go somewhere. Yeah. And try to be somebody that, that people want to have in their show. And um, because just going in for sh- roles, somebody bigger is always going to get a role, but maybe somebody bigger won't be able to develop something. Yeah. I don't know. That was kind of my theory at the time. Is that what happened with Adam's family? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, Mary Mitchell Campbell had worked with me and, and kind of uh, that whole thing. So I, all my shows came from working on workshops. Yeah. Every single one of my Broadway shows did. Wow. Wow. 
Hey, you guys, Patrick here. I wanted to let you know that one of the other theater podcasts I make, Broadway Backstory, is about to launch season two. If you don't know about it, Broadway Backstory is a documentary-style podcast in which each episode finds out how a show developed from an idea to a full Broadway production. Basically, we interview the writers, directors, producers, actors, and anyone else we can find and turn those interviews into a 50-minute documentary about how the show got made. The first season covers shows like In the Heights, Next to Normal, the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening, Legally Blonde, and more. We've just dropped our promo for season two and unveiled the seven shows we're covering, and I think you're going to be into it, you guys. You can find the promo and all of season one in our podcast feed, which you can find on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Just search for Broadway Backstory. Also, you guys, today's episode is sponsored by Stage Door Manor. It's finally officially summer, and the best part of summer is camp. But for real theater geeks, there's only one camp to go to where surprise visits from Broadway stars, Hamilton sing-alongs, and dance-offs are as normal as bunk beds and sunscreen. And that's Stage Door Manor. You guys have heard me talking about Stage Door for the past few months, but it's time for Curtains Up on another summer of unbelievable performances. The inspiration for Todd Graff's movie Camp and Mickey Rapkin's book Theater Geek, Stage Door is the performing arts training center for kids ages 10 to 18 in upstate New York that puts on an unbelievable 14 shows during each of its three-week sessions. I can't wait to tell you some of the shows they're putting on for this summer. Past Stage Door premieres include original stage versions of Rent, Avenue Q, Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party, and Woman in White. In addition to those shows, there are more than 100 classes at beginning and advanced levels. Everything from playwriting to stage combat. There are no auditions for admissions. They accept all levels of experience and talent and find roles for students in shows where everyone can have his or her moment in the spotlight. To find out more about Stage Door, go to stagedoormanor.com. So in making your Broadway debut in the Adams Family, like how you were you understudied Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And what was the other role? Um, I can't remember the name. Alice. Was that Carolee Carmelo? Carolee And did you get to go on a lot? I never went on for Carolee, um, but I went on for Krista. Yeah. Yeah. How did you like understudying? No. Yeah. I understudied like in in Wonderland and I Adam's saw family. you in Wonderland. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was so I mean, I have a lot of questions about... <laughs> I, so we make another podcast called Broadway Backstory where each episode oh. finds out how a show develops from an idea to a full production. Oh so we interview everybody and then we like make a documentary about oh, how the show wow. got made. So we're doing have Bonnie... Have you done Wonderland? No, but we're doing Bonnie and Clyde this upcoming season. So I just spent like two hours oh, with Frank God. Wildhorn at his house. He's amazing. He's amazing, but he's crazy. Like he's so... He wouldn't mind me saying this, I feel like. He just... He was so not what I imagined Frank Wildhorn was going to be like. He's, He's such, such a, a bro. Teddy bear, right? He is, but he was like watching the news, and like so fired up about Trump, so fired up. But also, like ta- everything is a sports reference, and I was like, "Girl, what is this?" Like, I, and you He's know, obsessed like, with sports, totally. And Frank is how I—he's a huge part of my story. Oh, is he? Oh my gosh, yes, because 
he, I was in Adam's family when I met him, or maybe I hadn't even gotten Adam's family. And he said, everybody I know loves you. Like Rob Evan, James Barber, everybody I know, you know, thinks you're great and I don't know you. So I want you to come over and sing with me. So I go to a studio, like wow. somewhere, Carol or Pearl. And basically he has me sing every song he's ever written for three hours. And he gets down and he's like, okay, we're singing together together every week and for every week for probably two years we sang together wrote music arranged music what i'm serious and he basically handed me my second broadway show and he's like you need another broadway show on your on your resume you need to play a big role you need you will go on in this show yeah and basically just handed me my second broadway show wow and introduced me to jason howland who then became you know who then i dated and was the music director of wonderland like all these incredible people like he really changed the course of my life Wow, that is an. He seems like that kind of guy. Super generous, super very loyal, very loyal. Yeah, he told me like four times that he and Linda Edder still own a horse farm, and there's two houses on the horse farm, so they can each go there with their respective partners. I was like, Frank, you just told me that five minutes ago. I, I know, I know. He's so sweet. <laughs> I haven't, I know, I haven't seen him in a while. He, he's, he gets sad if you don't sing his music all the time. Uh huh. And you know, now I sing my own music, which he encouraged yeah. me to write. Yeah. But now he's like, you don't sing my songs, and I'm like, well, it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, okay, before we get to your, like, amazing, like, record career, okay. can we talk about Godspell for a second? Yeah, sure. Earth might be fair and all See thee more clearly. Turn back, oh man. For the first time, I'm feeling wicked. Turn back, oh man. Okay, so you sing the shit out of that song. Oh, thanks. You were talking on the Rudetsky thing that you did. You did it like up the octave plus a half a step. Is that right? I think so. That is I've blocked it out. Great. <laughs> How did you book that job? Because this is like your first opportunity oh, to like gosh. have a real plum like leading role. Well. It goes back to 2008 when the other revival was planned and got canceled. Right. I was cast in that. You as were. As the swing. Wow. So I was cast in that. That was the year that I booked. I thought like my, my whole career was going to change. I didn't have, it was going to be my Broadway debut. I booked my first film and my first national commercial and all three got canceled. <gasps> so then I was like, you know how you spend that money before you have it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, just kidding. So then... Then it came back around in 2011, and I had we all had really bad taste in our mouths because it was really sad when something gets canceled. Yeah. It's really really sad. Wait, why did it get canceled? Just whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Do you actually know? But you just can't. Tell I us. don't. <laughs> I'm assuming that there was a producer some, that didn't do some, their yeah. job somewhere along the way. I, yeah, you know. So when it came back around, my agent said, oh, they want to see you for Godspell again. I was like, no, thanks. And because at that point, I had two Broadway shows in my, in my, under my belt, and I didn't want to swing. Oh, not, right, of Not course. because I didn't want to do Godspell, but I said, they're probably going to be, oh, would, they said, would you be interested in swinging? I said, I wouldn't, actually, because I just, I want to. Yeah, ready to move on. Ready to move on. They were like, okay, well, what about one of the roles? And I was like, eh, not really. Yeah. So it was kind of like. I think I I think that ship has flown. Yeah, yeah. What's the phrase? Sailed, I think. Sailed. <laughs> Maybe this is part of my problem. Math and analogies. Um so 
anyway, so they were like, why don't you just go in for it? And so at the time I was doing um, the Motown workshop during uh-huh. the day, I was doing Guys and Dolls with Leslie Kritzer at night in Barrington. Oh, my God. I was driving three hours in the morning and three hours at night <gasps> to make my half hour, okay? Oh, my so God. I was, because I had to do the Motown workshop because I'd done all the workshops and I was like, this baby's going somewhere. Yeah. So we love Motown on this podcast, by the way. Oh, thank you. Love. Thank you. Yeah. So I then they're wanting me to go in for coffee. I'm like, what hours of the day? Then my car gets towed. I'm trying to drive to Barrington, <laughs> make my half hour. I'm literally, I'm just, I'm cruising for a car accident. You know what I mean? Totally. So when I go in and I kind of didn't care, I was like, they're going to cast a star or somebody bigger than me. So I had kind of been a little jaded about it. So I go in, I give it my all, and they, oh, they want me to see for this and see me for that. And I'm like, okay, well, if, it doesn't sound like they know if they where they want me to be. So I kind of just didn't, I didn't put a lot, I wasn't, my hopes and dreams weren't riding on it. What did you sing? Do you remember? I sang what I booked all my Broadway shows on, which was, um, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, Aretha Franklin. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I booked wow. four Broadway shows off that, off that song. And so you booked it? I did. Yeah, they called me. I was in the middle of Motown. And I didn't really believe it because, again, I was a little, you know, skeptical. But, yeah, I booked it. And we did a, a, a lab to begin. It was a great cast, obviously. And Yeah, great cast. And obviously you have to build this script from scratch. Yeah. Because there really is no script, you know. And the arrangements were amazing. And we kind of went on like that. And then you broke your foot. <laughs> and, I broke, and then I broke my I ankle. I didn't get to see you because I, I saw it in previews and you. I was like, no. I know. No, you didn't miss much. It's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I sprained my ankle. It was horrible. Oh. Um, the night I sprained my ankle, we were um, in tech and Uzo Duba carried me up four flights of stairs. Oh, my God, that woman. To, the, to get an ambulance or whatever. I, and it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Um, and I, I won't get into how much of a nightmare it was, um, you know, politically and otherwise. But yeah. Yeah, it was that was a really really painful time for me because of course as everybody continued to bond, I was laid up. I had to miss opening night. I had to miss all the previews. Um so it was so painful. Of course they and and then it was we never were all quite the same. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> and I still, you know, there are rifts that remain. Wow. With the creative team and me. Uh, yeah. So it's it's hard because the way someone handles that really, really says a lot about their character, you know? Um, And sometimes, like, when uh, there was an actor that got injured in Motown and everybody just rallied and everybody said, your job's here when you're, you know, know, as soon as you get well. And that just wasn't the case. Yeah. So, but I learned a ton. And and it was like my, my, I didn't want to go to opening. I was so heartbroken because it was my first lead role. And my manager said, you will go to opening. You will put on something fancy and you will show support. Like you will not going to be a baby. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. You know? And so it really taught me a lot about being a team player and showing up for people. And, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot. Yeah. And then did you leave Godspell to go do Motown on Broadway? Um, no, how it worked was I got my, I got a record deal. Oh, right. With Epic. With Epic Records. Amazing. And I was just about to put on my notice and we got our closing notice. Uh So those kind of dovetailed. So, um, I got my record deal right when Godspell was closing. And then you, but you did do Motown, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, basically a year later. Oh, It it was continuing to be in workshops, but yeah. um, Okay. I think we started workshopping it three months after uh, Godspell closed. And then did you make a decision to sort of focus on music over theater, like when you get this big record deal? Well, I committed to Motown, which was 
the first year of my record deal, I was doing Motown, or year and a half. Um, and then it got to be too much because it was two full-time jobs. Yeah. So um, I, I finally put in my notice and said I really want to focus on music. And it was a huge leap of faith because it's not like music – um, was financially sustainable to me yet. Yeah. But I just had to go out on the limb. And it was hard because, you know, leaving that security of that community, which I love so much, and I loved that cast, and I love that direct deposit and that insurance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so leaving those comforts was yeah. really, was hard, but... And your first album with Epic was a Nina Simone album. Yeah. I, I you know, right when I got my record deal, I was doing... A Nina Simone show at Jazz Lincoln Center, and oh. Doug Morris, the head of Sony, came to the show. So it was never meant to be an album. Wow! It was an accidental album. So they they just decided to record it. Doug said, "Oh, I, w- I want to record that. That's amazing." So the next week we recorded it. Wow! So while I was writing my first album, we released the Nina Simone album. freedom do you get when you get to write your own so your first album was called hunter it came out in 2014 on epic yes how like how the hell was that (laughs) uh very very hard you know much like juilliard um you have certain expectations about things that you dream about yeah and um i think expectations are really dangerous because nothing quite lives up to them you know and so i dreamed what it would be like to have a record deal and you know, it's. I wish it was still 1974. I think I would have, you know, <laughs> been very successful. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's a little hard for artists like me nowadays. You know, so everything's based on money and radio viability and stuff. So it was difficult um, to be at Epic because they wanted me to do um, a bunch of garbage music, and then I kind of was saying, no, I don't want to do that. And so then you're fighting them, and they don't really like that, and so. I, though a lot of people there, you know, were great to me and really loved me. And Ellie Reed was so supportive of me. And he's who got the song to Prince, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he really, that was a huge game changer for me. But all in all, you know, I didn't get a record deal till I was 30. You know, yeah. so it, Epic is a pop label. And everyone there is 20. Yeah. Except Fiona Apple and Sarah Bareilles and me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... You know, they were kind of like, hmm, what do we do with you? How did you get the record deal? How did that happen? Doug Morris um, and Barry Gordy Jr. Wow, that's interesting. They were producing Motown the Musical. Yeah. So Doug Morris was coming around a lot, and he became a fan of mine and called me into his office one day. And basically, after a series of conversations about what I wanted to do with my life, you know, basically offered me an amazing record deal with Epic. But he handed me to L.A. Reed at Epic. And, Ep- and L.A. was like, what do I do with this girl? Uh-huh. A little bit. So in the record industry, you really need to have soldiers on the ground that believe in you, A&R. 
And I went through probably five A&R. They all kept getting fired. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's – the record industry is changing really, really rapidly. It's like every time you turn around, there's a new way that people are doing it and there's um, more people fired. And so <laughs> it's really crazy, you know. Thankfully, I had – I have two great managers and who, and my agents and they, they've been consistently supportive and, and – um, supportive of my vision of what I wanted to do. So basically I said, I want to make an album of original music, which is what Barry Gordy wanted me to do, you know, because publishing is the real estate of the music yeah. business. So, but now I feel like have... I'm talking a mile a minute. No, I... no, 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 no. You're, this okay. is amazing. Okay. I actually, I talk so fast on these things. I'm like, I can't even understand myself. Like, you're perfect. <laughs> um, and then you released a Joni Mitchell album, like a cover, right? Was it a cover album? Um, yeah. You know, I do these I'm kind of known for these full album covers now. Yeah. So I did Black Messiah um, by D'Angelo, and then I decided to do all of Blue in one take for the 45th anniversary. So we released that. In one take. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then we did a video, of course, of it too, and because I'm tr- I had started to build my channel and yeah. and um, before that I kind of really built my fan base up by doing videos with Postmodern Jukebox. Yeah. And now you have your own record label. Is yeah. Right? Well, I was dropped from Epic, so I. <laughs> How does that happen? They just call you? No, um, no, actually, uh, they don't call you. They <laughs> don't do that. You, my manager, you know, basically, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't making any money. You yeah. have to develop an artist and and help them along to help them yeah. make money. You don't just make money with with no help. So I wasn't making any money, even though Call My Name did very well at at, at radio. Yeah. Um. One day, L.A. decided that um, he said, who hasn't made any money this month? He said to his staff. His staff listed a few artists, and all those artists got dropped. Wow. And so my manager flew to New York and to tell me to my face. Wow. And, of course, I was devastated, and I cried. And he said, well, why are you crying? And I said, I'm ashamed. And he's like, don't be ashamed. You know, this is a rite of passage that many, many legends have gone through. Yeah. And you're... No one's lost faith in you, and I don't want you to lose faith either. And you know, I decided to pick up the pieces. Right, and so and you did that by by making your own label. Yeah, Hedonist. Hedonist Records. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and your and your new album is Reckless Abandon. Yes, is it out now or is yeah. it coming out? And how? What how, you wrote? It's all originals. It's all originals. And you're on tour right now. Yes. That's you're playing the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, that's crazy. I know, it's so big. <laughs> do you love doing this on your own? I love it. You do. I mean, it's harder in some ways for sure. Um, I love touring. Yeah, it's 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 really really what I wanted to do, and I love it. And it's very very hard. But at the end of the day, whether I make money or not, or whether anybody shows up or not, I'm doing my music on totally. the boss yeah yeah and it's harder in some ways i really miss the 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 purse of sony <laughs> <laughs> she had a nice checkbook there at sony um which morgan doesn't have but you know what i but nobody can take away my fans like nobody yeah. owns them you know a record label doesn't own them there and if you i'm so appreciative of them because they show up yeah you know they show up every night and they make it possible for me to make music do you want to come back to theater if the right thing came along, if the right show came along, absolutely, because I love it, but I, it's a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I couldn't tour at all. Right. So it would really have to be something special. Um, 
It's so funny. This conversation is so reminiscent of our conversation with Shoshana Bean, which I wanted to mention because you guys did the Jesus Christ Superstar together. And you guys are, I mean, obviously I'm not telling you something you don't know, but it seems like you guys are so similar. Just like badass ladies who wanted (laughs) to do their own thing, who come from Broadway, but wanted to like make their own music and have their own albums and their own labels. And, And how was it to come together with her to do the Jesus Christ Superstar thing? And well, like Ellen and KLS at all and all these great oh my, women. Well, I just put together my dream list of women and yeah. they all said yes, which, <laughs> which is amazing. I was, it was, that was very humbling to me because all, all I really could do is I had to personally ask each and every one of them yeah. because, because it was hard work and not a lot of money, like everything, you know? And, and then when they all said yes, I really felt honored because that's what I really wanted to do was bring together amazing women and just everybody love on each other. And Shoshana, I had a dream, you know, that I wanted to do this. And so I texted her. I, d- I didn't even have her number. I don't, we're not, we didn't know each other. That's what she said too. Yeah. I had to ask a friend for her number and just cold call her, you know, wow. and said, oh, I had this dream. Would you ever want to do this? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, cool. And so I just, I really, really wanted to make it happen. I, I, I continue to want to make it happen in developing it, but it was so amazing. We're, you know, we are very different people. And actually, our voices are so different, but we both have a passion for making our own music and making our own way, and I think that that really unites us. And she's such a boss. Yeah. And she can do anything. And any style she sings is, you don't call it that style anymore. Shoshana styled it. Yes. (laughs) She's like the epitome of an owner. Yeah. Okay, where can people see you? Where can they find your music? Tell us everything. Give yes, us yes, you can find my music on iTunes, Spotify, Title, everywhere. Any any digital platform, including um, and then also Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can get hard copies on Amazon or on my website, morganjamesonline.com. and that's also where you can find all my tour dates. And I'm touring throughout the fall and winter. Wow! I'm going many, to Europe too. You are yes. where? Oh my god. 18 different countries. What? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. How long are you going to be on the road? Um, well, you know, off and on like two weeks in September, two weeks in October, and then Europe all of November, December. Wow. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yes. Right? <laughs> Morgan James, I'm so glad we finally did this. I've been I wanting know. to have you Thank on Thank you forever. so much for having me. I'm so, you followed us on Twitter and I was like, ah, Morgan James just followed really? us on Twitter. Really? That was yeah. how it works? Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? And then I followed you back and direct messaged you. I was like, can we do this? And you're like, who are you? Sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You're the best. Will you come back when you come back from tour? Yes, of course. We'll do it again? Yes. Okay, bye. Bye. You guys, I can't believe it, but BroadwayCon 2018 is just a mere few months away. Like, in no time, it's going to be next weekend. My time at BroadwayCon 2016 and 2017 was unbelievably magical. I remember the time I saw Jeremy Jordan just wandering through the marketplace by himself looking at t-shirts. That kind of stuff happens there, you guys. So I've asked friends and listeners to send me voice memos about their favorite things about BroadwayCon, things you can only experience there. My friend Andrew Bredas, also known as Annoying Actor Friend on Twitter, had this to say. Hey, what's up? This is Andrew Bredis. I'm the writer and creator of Annoying Actor Friend. And for the last two years, I've had this awesome opportunity of being part of BroadwayCon. Um, I've done book signings there. I've spoken on panels. Um, I've helped write jokes for main stage performances. Um, I've, uh, I, I did uh, whatever anybody needed from me during a blizzard. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's just such a fantastic, fun weekend. It's this bright beacon of hope 
in the middle of January, which is so terrible. And um, uh, where you can see all these people come together and just lock themselves in a space together and shut everything else out uh, that's bothering them in their lives and just kind of like connect over this one universal love that they have, which is theater. And I've also just loved seeing this new thing happen in the community that's now growing into something that's part of the calendar year of Broadway. That's part of the, the Broadway culture now, like a gypsy of the year or an Easter bonnet or the Tony awards. And I can't wait to see how much bigger it gets. So, um, it's an honor to have been a part of it. And I look forward to being a part of it in the future. You guys, tickets to BroadwayCon 2018 are now on sale, and they are cheaper than they have ever been. You can find tickets and information, including super reasonable hotel deals that weekend, at BroadwayCon.com. I hope that if you're on the fence about coming, that you'll just go for it. It really will change your life. Theater People is a product of Theater Podcast Productions. To see all the podcasts we make, including our new true crime comedy podcast called True Crime Obsessed, check us out at theaterpodcastproductions.com. Theater People is produced by Mike Jensen and me. Mike edited this episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, Stage Door Manor. Today's our last episode with Stage Door. They've been such an amazing season-long sponsor, and we love them. Check them out at stagedoormanor.com. And BroadwayCon. We love BroadwayCon, too. Check them out at broadwaycon.com. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes or even a full season of the podcast, send an email to me at patrick at theaterpeople.com. And that's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. And that's where you can send your BroadwayCon voice memos as well. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Cynthia Wallach, Carol Spellman, and Ty Williams. And to Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald. We'll be back next week. And this is where I'm not going to announce a guest because I'm not quite sure who it's going to be yet. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Hey.